Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 385th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your record-holding host, Mason, joined by my amazing Smash Brothers co-host, Spencer, and my Cube Fanatic co-host, Abe. How are y'all doing? I'm a little under the weather, but I'm happy to be back. Heck yeah. I'm also under the weather. I'm just riding high on that day quill. It hit right before we started. I got a cough drop in my mouth. I'm doing it. I got some water over here. Luckily, this show episode is not about me a whole lot, so it's not going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, sure. I woke up I woke up sick on Friday, and so I couldn't Ooh. go to Vegas. My whole family is now sick. And yeah, here we are now, you know, doing the podcast. I feel great. I'm having a great day. Life is awesome. I'm in perfect health. You know, mm-hmm. I uh, I didn't play any magic over the. I didn't play any, like magic tournaments over the weekend. I didn't get sick. I I'm a wash. I'm the middle ground here. I'm the relatable person in the episode for most of you. <laughs> That's so great. I'm so glad that we have one person here who can be a solid rock. Uh, you know, it's gone to my head, and also so has the the virus. So you know, it's a it's a real it's a real combo. But today. We are going to be talking about MTG Vegas in uh, modern, and specifically me, Barry. We're talking about me. Uh, I got ninth at the tournament, and I apparently have tied the record for the closest Grand Prix miss top eight of all time with Joe Lissette at 0.03%. So we're going to talk all about that and everything there, and we're going to do a little interview style thing and go over a couple things. But first, we do need to do always improving. That is the point of the show. We're always trying to get better. And Spencer. You weren't this last time, so you're up first, buddy. Yeah, I had a pretty, uh, you know, fun week overall, for what it's worth. Uh, Wednesday, I got to play uh, Paper Standard for the first time in over two years pretty easily. Uh, Pretty amazing, to be completely honest. It was extremely fun. I'm excited to go again tomorrow if I'm feeling a little bit better. Um, But I also just got the chance to work on a bunch of standard stuff. You know, today's episode was going to be, um, you know, a standard episode uh, talking about some some stuff. But uh, instead, we're audibly because Mason's a killer and it's pretty great. Um, But I got to play quite a bit of standard uh, over the last week and try some decks that I wasn't trying and cards that I wasn't trying before to kind of prepare for this week's show. Um, And actually was able to post three updated updated deck lists in our patreon discord so head over there to check those out but it was really cool to play paper magic again and honestly like there was um there were interesting moments um i get pretty lazy when playing like arena uh and i just found myself being way more attentive and enjoying the game a lot more playing paper again and it really gave me some fire to be more attentive while playing arena this week that's awesome yeah i i definitely can relate you know playing paper the SG con really got me hyped and uh so has vegas you know and so i uh i feel you there i'm i'm here and i was like uh my roommates had test that i played a little standard on the phone before we realized that i was uh gonna be having such a good run to get ready for this episode and i was down to play you know and so i uh yeah it's super fun to play on paper long story short just just the best i can't wait yeah abe what about you what was your always improving moment uh as you alluded to in the intro i'm i've started a new another new project last week it was uh it was a little personal thing with beatboxing this week it's been researching a bunch about cubes and cube building um 
I, you know, I'm kind of just, we've been doing a bunch of drafts locally and like, it's been fun, but as this limited format has kind of been a little sour for some of my friends and, uh, you know, I've kind of wanted to get into the, into the process of like getting into cube for a while now, I've taken the dive and I'm really, you know, just trying to answer the questions of what do I think is fun and what am I like looking to make uh, happen? And it's kind of like this big deck building challenge tied up in building something much bigger than any single deck um, and encompassing kind of just set of archetypes. And so thinking about that and all of the logistical challenges with that and stuff has been super cool. And thinking of all the cards I'm excited to, uh, to play with or, or how to balance it out and the cube experiences I have had a lot of doing that. Yeah. Awesome. My always improving moment is a, it's a little weird comparatively. I have some stuff that we're going to talk about in the main episode that I think I could have easily kind of phoned in if you would for this segment, but I actually had kind of a weird one where, so the main event for the modern was Friday, Saturday. So technically my magic playing was quote unquote done uh, Saturday night. And so I, Sunday I went to the hall and I, played a little commander and I just mostly walked around and talked to people, but I talked to a lot of uh, people who are content creators or up and coming content creators. I got stopped a lot and I had a lot of conversations with them. I had conversations with uh, people who are already like, you know, very big in the scene, like Talia Vest. And my observing moment was really kind of crystallizing my thoughts on what I think actually makes like really good content and like talking to them and being able to relate to them and tell, like explain like how I got to where I am and do my sort of thing uh and that sort of stuff and so the really the improving moment was like getting this better sense of kind of like what i believe to be so hanging to hash with these conversations and also learning from them and learning what they think and you know being able to take the stuff that you know talia talked about where i talked to jafar mpg who's like wanting to start his own podcast and stuff and so uh i got to talk to all these different people and it was a really interesting experience that really uh is a big part of my life in magic but it's really hard to talk to and meet other people that do that especially in person you know it's just really hard to like run to a bunch of other content creators but at mtg vegas it's very easy you know i got to talk to like kes wiley of the masters of modern podcast and so it's a it's a kind of a crazy experience so you know it was awesome i talked to cgb a little about some stuff and yeah it's fun so it's a good time that's, that's awesome. gonna do it for oh, oh yeah that's say- gonna do yeah yeah you go you go I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about this too i mean you you've been in the game longer than i have Oh, no, I was just going to say that it's really, uh, it's awesome to hear you talk about, you know, challenging yourself in an interesting way where you're like trying to articulate something um, is always a way where you can, I don't know how to say this, but like when you have to put your name on something and articulate it out into the world, uh, it makes you care more about your thought process behind what you're saying. And it's really cool to hear mm-hmm. you having that experience. Yeah, it, it was great. It was um, it was truly cool. I got to meet like um, the streamer who covered. Well, I, I knew her, but I got to finally meet her in person. Uh, Eyelash Rafara on uh, Twitch.tv, the person who was streaming the event. Um, she had like a little backpack set up, and I got to do an interview with her. And she, I think she recorded one of my matches. If you're curious and that sort of things, so you check out her vods. She's super nice, and it was interesting to talk to her and her approach to things as she's just starting off, and you know. It's a whole new world to her. Did she capture Allie giving Cedric Phillips the death glare? Uh, No. Our our good friend, Brittany Davis, uh, (laughs) was taking a bunch of pictures. And uh, we were looking through the pictures. Well, I was looking through the pictures for, like, to to put on Instagram for, like, my memory collage. And I, like, 
zoomed in to see the board state and i as i did i accidentally zoomed in on Allie, and i saw that face i was like oh my god i like ran around my airbnb and showed everyone and i was like Allie, can i tweet this Allie, can i tweet this <laughs> and so i actually threw it up on twitter first and then see if anyone else noticed it for like five minutes and then i made my meme post i was like okay no one else noticed i get to be the one and so uh That's yeah nice. it was so yeah super funny yeah, that I have a great story for that one. That's probably going to be one of the. There's a story question later, but uh, that's an old timer story. Well, let's 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 go over this because uh, my esteemed uh, co-host and I, uh, we're really excited to talk to you, Mason. I mean, Abe and I have been fans of yours for so long, and oh, I mean, uh, day one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And so, you know, really, I was. Uh, it was funny. It was hard to be jealous of people this weekend just because I was so sick. I was like, I would be absolutely miserable if I had gone. But you, you know, I was jealous of. You know, <laughs> you got to you got to play my favorite format. You got to, you know, stay with a bunch of people. No, just kidding. Uh, no, I, I actually was le- legit rooting for you really hard this weekend um, and kind of knowing where you ended up and, and something that you had been talking about for a few weeks to kind of uh, switch on over and not i guess bury the lead uh let's talk about your deck really quick so by all means do you do you want to do the honors of reading your deck list over i totally can and of course as you know i know it by heart and i'm not loading it right now on another screen <laughs> but if i were i would say that so the if, lights of course, would I'm change playing... on your face is on the video yeah. Yeah, because maybe I have uh, Goldfish in dark mode, but for some reason Google Chrome extensions won't do that for uh, Drive. Who knows? Maybe that's just a random happenstance. <laughs> um, but if that were, I, I played Money Pile at SCG Vegas. This deck we talked about in last week's episode. Uh, if you haven't heard or you know, you're just tuning in for the first time, Money Pile is a four-color kind of big mid-range controlling deck um, that essentially wants to take over the game by controlling the board and then accruing value. And so... The deck list is four Iceman Quadra, four Eternal Witness, four Omnath, the Locus of Creation, that's the broken one, three Fury, four Solitude, four Red and Six, four Teferi Time Reveler, an Abundant Harvest, three Ephemerate, three Lightning Bolt, four Prismatic Ending, four Counterspell, four Expressive Iteration, one Time Warp, let's do it again, the four Abundant Growth, and I have 29 lands in my main deck. The important thing to know is that most of these lists are the same when it comes to mana, except for me. I have cut the one Reflecting Pool that you'll see in all the lists, and I have added one more land. I made both of those two fetches that can be any Flooded Strain or Wooded Foothills that you like. I prefer to have Wooded Foothills there, but you can make it Flooded Strain as well. Both have merits. One Engineered Explosives, one Alpine Moon, two Fluster Torm, two Dovendito, three Lightning Helix, two Endurance, two Force of Vigor, and one Emrakul, the Promised End, to round out our sideboard, along with, of course, Yorion, the Sky Nomad as our companion. And uh, that is it. And I also I learned a fun little fact for everyone here, since we haven't played much Paper Magic. It turns out... I have to announce Yorion every single game, even though my deck can never legally not have Yorion, else I will not be able to pick up Yorion. A little fun fact that happened to my uh, neighbor around, and I was like, ooh, okay, I will announce Yorion every round, even though uh, I can never not have Yorion. So, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing that I've noticed from playing Paper Magic again, is playing with Luris, is announcing it every time is kind of hard to remember, if not for the fact that I have the pack insert uh, companion token that no one knows exists. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so, invest I put, in one of those i put my uh companion under my life pad so when i because i write uh, like i had the little small cfb one i normally use like two sides every match so it's right there that's luckily been my thing so uh but yeah it is it can be hard to remember 
you know, I, I never got anyone on it, but like, it's like kind of lame that I could get got. But that is my that is my deck list. Awesome. So uh, yeah. I'll go with my questions first for you, Mason. Um, I I kind of I think the listeners kind of experienced part of this as you know you've been talking about this deck for about three weeks now uh, on the podcast. Um, but why don't you talk to me kind of about the process on like ending up here? Were you like gunning for this, or was it like kind of an iterative process to get to the, to the point where you're both playing this specific uh, 95 and also you know, picking this as a starting point or, you know, wherever you, wherever you got to it. Yeah. So it all starts back with SCG con. So, um, SCG con, the invitational happened four weeks ago. Um, it, yes, four weeks ago now at this time. And the week before that, uh, Kane Reinhardt, a friend of mine and Ganesha both top eight the challenge with an updated version of what will eventually become this deck you see here now. In fact, my deck is very similar to the one that Kane is playing most recently. Um, and basically, this deck was taken from a challenge win of someone who had a deck like this, but had a lot more flickery stuff and a little bit bigger game. Basically, it was like, hey, can we condense this down to be a little bit more efficient? And so the deck looked really appealing. I, I like Murktide. I think Murktide is still a really good deck. I think it's a top five deck, which is a little bit of a controversial opinion, but I, I do think it is the worst of the best decks, but it's still very good. Um and it is like a solid choice. And I wanted to be able to play Money Pablo. It's going to be really hard to get all the cards. And at Belkadek, I would need a little bit more practice with to play proficiently. And I felt very confident with all my stuff with uh, Blue Red Burk time. So uh, after the Invitational, I was pretty set on, like, I'm starting with Money Pile as my base of operations. I own all the cards somehow, except for, like, two Eternal Witnesses. And so I'm going to work on this deck. And this is going to be the thing that I'm trying to work towards. Because I do believe this deck to be very strong. For a lot of aspects, I'll get into in one second. And the other thing is, I didn't expect a whole lot of people to put in a whole lot of extra work who had, hadn't already gone to the Invitational, and I expected kind of for the format to not move too much uh, in that time. And while it moved a lot more than I thought, paper has a habit of not moving as quickly. So that turned out to be fine having a deck like this. That being said, I do think this is the best or second best deck in the format, depending on how you want to talk about things, this and Hammer Time, I believe are 1A and 1B. Um, but the process of ending up on Money Pile is that basically... The format is a lot about taking a little bit of board control and kind of riding it to victory. Like, you'll see Hammer tries to put on one creature. Like, while they do go wide in some games, often their best games, they're trying to, like, splinter twin you out where they slowly constrict you and then kill you. Uh, with a Hammer, where they just cheese you. You'll see this with Murktide. you see it with John Saga. You see it with the Rhinos decks, actually. Like, your Rhinos decks are basically trying to resolve one crashing footfalls. And then if you try to, like, present more board pressure, they try to cast a bunch more to get around it or they just try to protect it with like their force negations their brazen borrowers and stuff like that and hope that they can like just kill you with a couple rhinos so the game is often about the board but not in a way that it has been historically in the past decks like humans where it's super wide and you need cards like supreme verdict you actually just need to be able to answer one or two specific things and this deck is very very good at doing that between bolt prismatic and solitude fury uh to fairy time reveler actually to an extent against like things like tokens and shutting off cascade cards uh, the deck is very good at controlling these boards that get kind of large, but not completely out of control. And some of my decisions on Money Pile, like playing Ice Fang Quaddle, or to make sure that I kind of prepare for people who went a little wider in the actual wider metagame. Um, but 
I'm gonna put money pile because the deck is really, really good at that, and it's very, very good against hammer time. If people just default to playing hammer time at this tournament, I'm gonna have a very easy tournament. I played hammer three times, and my hardest opponent was Cedric Phillips by a lot. And even that, it kind of actually just got to the point where it was like, this is so hard because Cedric is good enough to maybe somehow beat these cards, but I don't think he can actually beat these cards. I just need to respect that he is the person that could. And so um that is kind of the big reasons like why i land on this deck it's very very powerful and it has the benefit of something unlike hammer where hammer while <coughs> excuse me extremely strong and a strong deck by all regards it does need pieces to really come together and while money pile uh is kind of like bigger and clunkier at times it does have like a lot of really cheap spells like a lot of the deck is like two mana or less if you count the if you're willing to pitch the elementals to not die and so you're able to make it to those bigger kind of turns with the more powerful cards and it's really really hard for your opponents to actually like ever overcome you on value so they have to be playing something like a combo deck and it really allows you to actually like leverage your play skill and your understanding of the format and that is something i think i'm quite good at when it comes to modern is knowing what decks are trying to do, how they're trying to accomplish their goals, and how I can punch a hole in it. And so those are kind of the, the big things. Also, it's super fun to play. It's just a, it's a blast. So At least for me. I, I know a lot of people don't like it. It's not, so at least what I've learned over the weekend. <laughs> so, uh, My next question, uh, unless you wanted to add anything uh, on that, Abe? Uh, no, that's... I mean, we, we, we spent a whole episode talking about where we thought sure. uh, Modern is. And, and if you haven't listened to that and you're listening to this... You should absolutely go listen to last week's episode. We really cover a lot of uh, Mason's thought processes uh, regarding that and kind of, you know, where our heads are at about Modern. Uh, and it was not very surprising to me that uh, Mason was was very comfortable piloting Money Pile for, for the tournament and that he was doing so well uh, after. Yeah, so, first time playing Money Pile in a big paper tournament, too. Woohoo! Easy. It's so much easier than Moda, by the way. Let's just get that out of the way. Moda gets to do the triggers. No, not a problem at all. Just shuffling is the only problem. So let's talk about that really quick because my yeah, next yeah. question is, I mean, this is the first Grand Prix style event. It's not technically a, a MTG Fest or a Grand Prix, but uh, in like what, two years now? It's, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's been a long time. Um, was there a different level of preparation for this event? Did you feel like you kind of got your feet back under you at the SEG Con or – I don't know how, how. What was like the? What was like that feeling? And how did you kind of keep your head on straight going from playing your pro tour on your, you know, in your bed to? Well, I played it right here, baby. We're at the so I played the pro <laughs> tour right now. I, I didn't. I didn't want to tell you all to get you nervous, but you're here with me in this sacred space. <laughs> that is my but, office. <laughs> but going from that to kind of back into the real world of competitive magic in paper. What what did I don't know? How did it feel? Talk to me about it. Yeah, so you know we put a like Abe and I put a lot of work into modern. Um, I watched a lot of modern, consumed a lot of modern content for the SCG Invitational. Like SCG Con was the first one back. Um, you know, like SCGs were kind of the thing I'd really dedicate a lot of my time to. Um, and if assuming all events came back like the way they were before, I would probably be where I'm at again on sort of stuff. So. I'm in a lot, and I'm going to see a lot of friends, and also, like, just a lot of heaters, a lot of killers there. Um, and being a smaller field, you're, like, going to play against them a lot. And so I, I got kind of my foot back in stuff with that when it comes to, like, getting my bearings and getting back used to playing with cards. I also have been having local tournaments to me. 
since like May or July. Actually, you know what? Whenever Modern Horizons 2 came out, it's about a week after that is when we started doing locals again. So I don't know if that was in May or July, but somewhere in that time frame. So I've been playing weekly in paper that whole time. And my local modern community is actually like very vibrant and very fluid. We actually have a lot of people that don't like to play just one deck and they switch decks a lot. So I, I have a lot of experience against a lot of stuff, you know, um, and getting to flow into that sort of thing. It was just like second nature though. Like when I we went, went to the main hall for the uh, GP Vegas and it was the same hall they've always used. Although funny enough, they laid it out. Uh, you know, if you've been there before, when you would walk into the main hall from like where the Starbucks is, it's all kind of sideways. It's like horizontal to you. But this time it was vertical towards you and it threw me off. I was like, whoa why like where are we gonna play and it was just, they just laid it out like on its side basically this time it completely threw me but uh besides that it was you know second nature like my round one opponent uh like knew who i was wanted to talk about these sort of things and it was actually like his first um so their first uh big like matter tournament thing they started playing like i think they said about four months before covid and so they played on arena so they didn't really get to do anything in paper and they were so excited to meet all these people they'd watched online and like all these sort of things and so uh it was funny because i got to kind of watch this in theirs but i i was cool as a cucumber i was excited to play um when it comes to like the competitive aspect of stuff like triggers and things like that I, i'm on top of my game like I, i've been playing so much in paper it wasn't a problem but I got to say, if I hadn't played all these sort of things, I think it would have been. And a lot of my day one opponents, it felt like they were uh, maybe had played a couple local things and that was it. You know, like they had not played a whole bunch of paper magic. I, a lot of people said, wow, this is a lot easier on Modo when they were doing their things. So, yeah, I, I know that like when I go to Grand Prix, I get like mentally tired after day one. I'm just yeah. like, I need a nap. So I was, yeah. I was just curious if it was, you know, going back to these style events was more mentally taxing than you know, getting to sit at your desk. It, I, it is mentally taxing. I drank a lot of coffee and it was also actually mentally taxing for me because across Friday and Saturday, I slept about seven hours. I got in late because my flight got delayed on Friday. Uh was at the Airbnb with some people like JL, friend of the show, and then Beck, who I've never met in person before. And I thought they would want to go to bed immediately. So I stayed up on my four hour flight. And they wanted to stay up and talk for like an hour and a half. And I was like, all right, yeah, I would do this. And then my room had like this loud AC unit that would wake me up every hour and a half when it would turn on and did that all weekend. And so I didn't sleep very consistently. And then on Friday night, we went to a place called Mott 32, which is really good Chinese food. And me and my friend Brittany split a bunch of starters to like just try a bunch of stuff. And I had this like chili chicken that gave me like basically destroyed my stomach. And all night Saturday... And all day Saturday while playing the event, I had I asked a judge to go to the bathroom every single round, basically. And mm, so I was, ex yeah, I was exhausted and tired. I was like just barely hanging on near the end there, just so, giving it one hundred and ten percent every yeah, round, it was, <laughs> leaving it, it all rough. on the all on the table. Oh, I hope you weren't leaving it on the table. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, my my last question is is kind of a you know a softball for you there, Mason, which is just like, is there any one thing that you would say the listeners of the show as like a takeaway uh, that they could just immediately apply? Takeaway that they can immediately apply. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is that you just kind of got to play and just do the best you can. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes in games. Like 
I think my play this weekend was very, very good. I'm very happy with it, which is not always the case. I think there's only one round that I like I'm really not happy with my play with. Um, but basically, I, I'm very forgiving of myself. And you have the, the takeaway is you got to be forgiving when you make these mistakes. You have so many more rounds of the tournament to play. Just because I made a mistake in round one on turn one or whatever, right? If I do that, it doesn't mean I'm going to do that the whole tournament. It doesn't mean that I don't deserve to do well in the tournament. It doesn't mean that. It just means, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have done that a little bit better. Let's work on that. And then we have the rest of our lives to hate ourselves for making this mistake if you want to get really spychopathy about it. Uh, but you only have, you know, the next day or so to play this tournament. So just don't worry about it too much. Be cognitive of it, but don't let it ruin it. And, you know, just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you're not worthy of winning a game. And I see there's a lot of, like, people saying stuff like, ah, my opponent played so bad, I can't believe they won. And so sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's like, yeah, man, I mean, they misfetched, but, like, I don't know. Like, misfetching happens sometimes. It's cool. Like, let, give them a break. Do you remember the... <laughs> so. Do you remember the salty like there's a there's lots of salty smash player compilations and mm-hmm. there's one of a smash player I don't know is I don't remember the name off the top of my head but what you just said reminded me of this this piece where this guy is like freaking out he's streaming and he's like mm-hmm. he's talking like just mad he just lost and he's saying you know my opponent was trash like actual trash I have no idea how anybody could lose to that person like chat tell me like how does somebody actually it's like dude you just lost to him <laughs> like yeah like you did and so it's mm-hmm. it's funny because uh the direction i thought you were gonna go is people who like will say i deserved to lose that game because of x oh, yeah, or y yeah, yeah. because i think that sometimes like you know i deserve to lose that game because like you said i i misfetched on turn you know, two that didn't really play an impact, but I didn't play perfect, so I deserved to lose. And it's like, well, it's a game, first of all, so nobody deserves anything. Uh, but two, like, I don't know, I, I think that your advice holds true on both ends, where it's like, you know, be kind to yourself, be kind to your opponent, and just play the best that you can play in the moment. Yeah. Make a t-shirt the last that, people. They, yeah. <laughs> this, this one's more from the event itself. Um, it's that, like, you're... If you're making a deep run in these tournaments, uh, a lot of my opponents got very anxious near the end. Um, they were like realizing they were in top eight contention, and your boy Mason was running to the bathroom every twenty minutes, vibing, drinking two gallons of water between each round, and it was just like, as far as I'm concerned, my opponent didn't scoot to me in round one when I had them dead. I got this draw. I got to win five in a row, baby, just like a league. And every round's a win. I'm on like three to go from here, so. Uh, each round is its own round, and you shouldn't be worrying about top eight until it is actually in your grasp. And so, like, my round... So there's only 14 rounds for MTG Vegas because of the size or whatever. I, I don't actually know why. But there's 14 rounds. Uh, so, like, my round 13 opponent started off 11-0 in the tournament. They lost round 12, obviously, because we're playing. Um, and then it's round 13, and if they win, they can then most likely draw in the next round into top eight 100%. They'll be safe. And it's like their first uh, modern tournament or whatever. And they were extremely anxious and on edge the entire game to the point of like, I talked to them and they've played like a lot of limited. They played magic for a long time. But it's not modern, but they were quadruple checking life totals and apologizing all the time. And they tapped their mana really poorly. And a lot of things like this, I, I think actually mulligan incorrectly and like <clears throat> things like that actually cost them the game because they were so focused about, Oh, I got a topic, got a topic, got a topic. Instead of focusing like, hey, I got to beat this guy in front of me. And uh, 
Yeah, I, yeah, I guess it, it yeah, kind of feels moment. a little bit like a, like a silly takeaway, but like the fact that you did play that entire second day and had like this insane run while, you know, on low sleep and after, you know, eating food that really messed with you. Like, sure, all of these things were holding you back, but like you did still maintain focus on the match in front of you. You played the games that, that were dealt to you, you know, and and like that is it's very easy to get lost in all of that. I feel like in the moment of it happening where you're like, oh, there's a million reasons why I should lose or a million reasons why I can't pay attention. But, you know, there's a lot of good reasons why, you know, if you're uncomfortable, you can call a judge and take time for yourself. If you need to drink some water, like drink a bunch of water today, you just got to drink a bunch of water today. And finding ways to make sure that, uh, you know, you keep the decisions you're making divorced from the, uh, the the way that you're feeling when it comes to competing in magic is really important. And so, you know, there's always, you can always think a little longer about your decision, like, Maybe not always, always, if you're playing really slow, but, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to let it all get to you. Uh, and, and that is a skill you can always work on and becoming more comfortable with what is going on and, you know, not, not sweat it so much like, uh, maybe some of your, your later on opponents. Uh, I want to pivot over to, um, to my questions from here, Mason, if that's cool with you. Um, and I just, I want to start with just, you know, You've got a really good handle on the deck, um, and I feel like you have a really good handle on the modern format in general. That's not really a, a surprise to me that uh, that you did so well. And uh, Money Pile is kind of this, you know, this like it's the 1B to Hammer's 1A, or maybe vice versa, depending on how you see the format. Uh, it's coming out of nowhere. How do you think, you know, if you were someone who was playing a deck, any other deck than, than Money Pile... How is it that you would start to adapt to that deck? Yeah, so it is hard to, I think, adapt your deck to Money Pile and will still respect Camera. I think that is part of the choke on the format right now, is that these two decks, along with everything else, are really kind of putting you in a lot of weird directions. I would say that the thing that I think about are twofold. So if you're willing to be a psychopath and be absolutely crazy and change decks, uh, then I think changing your deck might be the easiest way to get an edge against Money Pile. So I think playing a deck like uh, Goblin Charbelcher, Ad Nauseam to a lesser extent, but decks like Ad Nauseam are a problem. Burn. These decks that are trying to not uh, interact on the battlefield in a meaningful way and just kind of kill you in one big burst over the course of two turns, in the case of like something like Burn, um, are really, really hard for Money Pile to beat. And so along those sort of lines, I think having big haymaker cards which are kind of good to have against Money Pile. Uh, and that can be things like Blood Moon. Um, I, I don't think Torpor Orb is one, but some people think it is. So it, it, it kind of depends, right? Like on a card like Torpor Orb, like if I have a Teferi 3 or Prismatic Ending, something like that, it's going to be a real problem. If, if I have cards like Fury in the early game and you spend your turn to Torpor Orbing and I just put my Fury in play, you're going to lose those games. I had that happen this weekend uh, as well. And so it's really hard to hard target and hate on Money Pile. And so when I saw this question earlier, I was trying to think of a good way to. And I think the the actual best thing you can do is stop over sideboarding for me. Um, a lot of people sideboarded face up, and I kind of talked to them a little bit, or I kind of looked at what they were doing, and they were bringing in like three torpor orbs, and they were cutting like some of their one drops to do it or whatever, you know, and like just stuff like that. And they were making their game plan much slower and much more grindy. And the problem is, is if you think about me as a beast, 
That's exactly what I want. I just want more time to rev up. I'm like a Dragon Ball Z character, baby. The more time you give me, the stronger I get. I always think of you as a beast, man. Heck yeah, you do. But yeah, no, but it's it's, it's like it's kind of like uh, it's really like Dragon Ball Z. If you see it, I'm like you know the Saiyans have got to fight for me. That's the elementals and the kill spells. Well, I supercharge up towards a Yorion or something, you know, or an Omnap. And so, um, I think ways to interact that are good are things that are cheap and are valuable in other spots and hit a wide swath of cards that kind of matter for you so i think a great example of this is some of the blue decks maybe adopting more mystical disputes uh like teferi 3 is often backbreaking for them as is omnath of its six because of the huge mana advantage uh yorion is a card you know i always have and it, that sort of card i think is actually really really good against me and it's a way to get some points without giving up too much in other matches because you can still bring in mystical dispute and in theory it won't mess up your plan too much and so I think trimming on cards that just aren't as great versus me and bringing those in is good. And I think actually another huge thing that people can do when it comes to try to adapt to the money pile is less about changing their deck. Like I think things like Mystical Dispute is good, but I think a lot of people need to actually learn about money pile and like listen to episodes like this. They, uh, If you want to go to uh, eyelash, twitch.tv slash eyelash, uh, I did an interview with her for about 30 minutes. So I talked about the deck as well and kind of what the plan is. So Destiny can do, and I'm going to be on the Masters of Modern's podcast this week talking about some as well. So there's a lot of content on there. There's uh, Kane Reinhardt's Nicky Masato who streams, and there's Canister. And those are, there are other people that do it, um, but I can't remember their names on top of my head at the moment. Sorry. And I know myself, obviously. But I think you should be listening to content like this and listening to us talk about it. I have an article this week about it because I think you need to understand what my deck's trying to do because I've gotten a lot of questions that to just kind of be kind of uh, blunt about it are showing me that people don't know what my deck is doing. Like, like a constant question I keep getting is how do you win uh, with this deck? And it's like, okay, well, my deck has two infinite combos in it. I have two ways to instantly win the game. And I can just like value out like a traditional control deck. And so I think people just actually don't fully grasp what you're trying to do. And I think that's what's leading to a lot of wins. And, and that's shown in games where people are like, aggressively going after my coattles at times or trying to go after my abundant growths and it's like these are smoothing pieces towards things like omnath to fairy um fury to a lesser extent like these are like oh, i'm gonna actually went to ewit time warp and so like people gotta look at that sort of stuff i think personally and i also think that graveyard hate cards like nihil spell bombs should be used against me more that can like move through a card and interact with my graveyard because hard graveyard hate cards like rest in peace are fine but be very easily beatable but things that like stumble me over and like make my ren and six worse but like let you keep up on cards are still quite good so i think those are kind of the big things if you have any more questions i'm happy to delve into those or any questions about specific cards um no it's, it's, i think it's pretty great that you brought up the torpor example because that was kind of my feelings as a hammer player uh, in in dealing with like the rise of these money pile decks was that like I needed a card like Thoughtseize to be able to answer like poke holes in the money plan game plan more so than try to answer any specific set of cards. Um, it was more about about reacting to that draw. So I think that's really good. Um, so my next question, unless Spencer you have something to add there, um, is kind of a little more. I think there's like I don't know how I always think of magic forms that I play. Um, 
and and do well in is like you don't have a good run without there being some like sweet plays or really like awesome moments you know the like the like oh wow i'm like meant to win this this thing like kind of moments and so i want to know if there were any of those that really like stood out to you that you wanted to share with the class get get really oh, chiseled yeah. into into the mountaintop of, of magic success here on the podcast. oh yeah well let me tell you about how i knew i was going to do well in this tournament it's round two i win round one Round two, I start playing my opponent. They're very nice. They read my articles. They're great. One absolute legend. So smart. You know they're good because they read my stuff. And we play game one of the money pile. I win. Game two, uh, they win. They were both kind of close games or whatever, but we're playing some turbo magic. We got 10 minutes left. We need to finish this match. And I look at my seven, and Abe, you'd be so proud. My seven was good, but not acceptable. So I mulliganed. I could have kept it, but I mulliganed. I go to six, no lands. Five, no lands. Four, I got two lands. I got a Teferi three, and I got an expressive iteration. I'm like, this is the best we got, baby. And I'm mulligan. I'm on the play. I like go, land, go. And my first draw for the first turn I get to draw is Emrakul the Promised End. And I think, well, I need you to win, but not now. Fast forward to the game. Slam my Emrakul the Promised End. Use all my opponent's cards. Kill them. I win the game. They can't kill my Emrakul. And I was like, wow, I'm meant to win this tournament. <laughs> I just won on a mold of four and the matchup that's all about card advantage where I drew my 13 drop on the first turn and missed some land drops. Holy cow, I cannot blow this tournament. Uh, some other kind of cool and exciting lucky moments um, was in round five, I believe. Uh, trying to think about this, think about this. It's five, yep. I'm playing against green-white Heliod. And... I have an Ice Fang Coatl in play, and I have one Snowland. I've got a bunch of other mana that can play it. And my opponent has like a Spike Feeder, like a uh, Sanctifier Vect, a Ranger Captain of Eos. And they like read my, so they draw for turn. They have like one card, and they're like, they read my Coatl. I'm like, it needs two others, right? And I'm like, yeah. And like, those aren't Snow Duels, right? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, attack you. And I go, Flashing Coatl, draw. And they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, second Coatl, draw. And I just block everything, eat the whole board. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly the game's unlosable. <laughs> Before we were in kind of a pickle. Uh, so I had, I had those things happen. I had a couple of things like I played against Tron in the last round at day two. Or day one, sorry. And my opponent has like the 127 shirt on. And I'm like, oh no. And I like barely beat them. And then in game three, I like mulligan to five. But I keep a hand that looks really, really bad. But it has most of the pieces of the time warp combo. Which is one of the ways you win is you can take infinite turns with this deck with Ephemerate E-Witness Time Warp, by the way, in case you were wondering earlier when I said there are things this deck does. That's one of them. And we just, I like, I didn't like rip it off the top. I had to like play really tight and like get to one life. And I started looping my cards and I was like, would you like to concede? And my opponent's like, yeah, let's get dinner. And I was like, heck yeah, 7-1. We did it. We beat Tron. It's unbeatable. So I did those and uh, I had a lot of really good games against Cedric. Um, but the the one exciting kind of funny moment of that is in game three against Cedric, um, I have like two Ice Fang Coils in play, a Teferi three, a Renin six. I've got five lands, and my hand is Bolt, Force of Vigor, Force of Vigor, Green Card, Green Card. And Cedric just has a bunch of artifacts and like no cards in hand. And I'm just tanking. I'm just looking, looking, looking. And this is where the, the mad Mebo picture is on Twitter, if you've seen that. Because Mebo's mad because I'm not like making a move. Because I'm trying to think, how on earth does Cedric ever beat me? And I'm just like <laughs> sitting there and I'm like, he can't, right? And I'm just like trying to think if I like could pick his deck up and pick cards for him every turn, what would have to happen? 
And then after I come out, I like after coming out of the tank of it is impossible as long as I always hold up one mana for this bolt, or like I get a chance to use the bolt, then I can do whatever. Uh, the judge goes, I need you to make a play. And at that point, I just start making plays with like always keeping up this one land. And Cedric eventually has to go for it. And I essentially like, plop my hand on the table, his whole board disappears, and then he concedes a turn later. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, okay, all right. Like I had the tools, we made sure we didn't lose to things. His first draw setup was part of the draw set, by the way, that was like gonna beat me in my theoretical line where it could come close. And I was like, <laughs> but we did it. It's fine. We, we won. So, uh, yeah, those are the exciting things. There are a bunch of other pretty good stories, but they involve a lot more theatrics, and we got to move on with the podcast. So yeah. It took my five minutes. That's... But uh, Imbercool is great. That, that was those exciting ones. Powerful card. We've talked about it for like five to seven minutes sometime. Yeah. Actually, you know what? One last one. Money Pile Mirror, day two. We're playing Turbo Magic again because you got to play a little Turbo Magic in the Money Pile Mirror. I slam Imbercool to Promise End. My opponent at Solitude's it. I untap, and I'm not going to explain the whole thing, but basically, I needed to Ren and Six ultimate their own Ren and Six, so I could, like, answer their whole board, and then beat the Ren and Six of over six turns, and I did. And that was super sick. It involved, like, having to constantly dove and veto these expressive iterations they're trying to retrace. I had to, like, let one resolve. And it, it was a, it was a crazy series of uh, games, but... It's not often you three. come to the determination that the right thing to do while you control your opponent's turn, and they're getting another one after that is, yeah, I need to give you a Ren and Six Emblem, so... Yeah, and you have no... I had no board at the time. Like, yeah. I, I, like, slammed an Amber Cool, and I got Solitude, and it's like... I have a 26 or whatever. <laughs> like, I gotta figure this out. So, that's that. Um, and and my last uh, personal question before we get to some patron questions um, is if you were going to talk to someone who was brand new to pick up Money Pile, they were like, wow, I love Mason. I want to play Magic like Mason. I want to play the Mason deck. What's something that you maybe figured out over the time playing? Or, you know, in preparation for the event or maybe during the event where you wish you had known coming into it that would have, like, leveled you up instantly. Like, for me with Hammer, it's like playing your Hammer before your Steel Paladin is something that always blows people's minds of, like, oh, I cannot draw a card to make sure I equip my Hammer. I don't know if there's anything maybe that uh, that easy to explain, but... Uh... Um, there kind of is, actually. So, I, I have two for this. The first one is kind of like the Hammer before Steel, And that's... I kind of realized that if I was close to the combo... While not always the optimal play, I should try to, like, trade resources a little heavier and then, like, expose my EWIT to removal. Because if I expose my EWIT to removal, it actually makes it easier to deploy the combo. And a lot of the times, I actually would, like, hold combo to the point where, like, I deploy all at once where my opponent can't really react. But you are very easily able to, like, kind of get there again, and you don't have to worry about it. So, like, one thing that happened to be, like, okay, I, like, bolt your thing in my main phase, play EWIT, pick up bolt or whatever. Or, like, EWIT as, like, just grab a land and like make sure i'm hitting land drops and that sort of thing and now i'm like threatening the combo at like two to three turns sooner and if your opponent knows what's up that actually puts a lot of pressure on them and if you can like see a spot where like maybe they're missing land drops or you can force them to use a teferi minus so that you can then maybe bolt teferi or get in there with an ice fang coaddle that sort of stuff i think is actually something i didn't do enough of early in the game that i kind of adapted towards near the end of the tournament that i think was a, a pretty big help and the second is um do not sweat the little things with this i mean like if you're playing a big tournament sweat the little things always but like if you're trying to pick up this deck and just start playing it there's a lot of intricate things that are going on there's a lot of like different loops and stuff like i had stuff happen this tournament that never happened in testing like against yawgmoth i assembled like counterspell ephemerate ewit as just like a line that beats like you know 
the next two spells they play once I have enough mana for it. Like, once I have five lands and four of them are blue, I can counter two things, which forces them to get to three things. I just never had that come up in testing before. And so there are a lot of little things that you discover and, like, engineer and create. Um, and so I think, like, just play. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes. I made a bunch of mistakes doing it at first. I made uh, one in the tournament that was pretty bad. But for the most part, just kind of do things, and it will work out for you in the end, and it will be good. And uh, I think that's good. Also, your ephemerate when rebounded goes to your graveyard after you target your win list, so you can pick it up. And people didn't seem to get that. Like one of my money pile opponents, like did it, and they like tanked and like picked up a bolt. And it's like, yeah, you can just pick up that ephemerate, and then now you have the ephemerate again for your win list, and you just pick that bolt up yeah. on its own. You're you're worth it. You you can spend the one more mana. Ephemerate and ewit together is very very powerful. That is not. It is. <laughs> that is it's that is a different kind of magic. Timeless Witness is on Arena, and so is Ephemerate. So I kind of want to, like, brewski a little there. Where, like, Get it's little... the four minute... Yeah, the four minute you went. Yeah. Little... I mean, I remember for a, this is a little bit of a sidetrack towards Popper, you know, my new my new main thing. Um, but I've definitely played a lot of, like, Ephemerate, Archaeomancer, uh, Popper piles that are, like, establishing these locks. And it's it's very intricate and thinking about it when it's happening. But once you do it a couple times, it it definitely gets down and it makes a lot of sense to me that being able to deploy and develop that eternal witness was something that was kind of uh an unlock for you in uh in performing even better with the deck uh, over over the course of the tournament so uh, our first question uh shout outs to adrian for this question uh just asks what are the biggest weaknesses of money pile like if you just plain and simple what is it losing to things that don't interact on the battlefield and are trying to be like stack based combo um or maybe end with a singular thing that kills you on the spot like a thassa's oracle or a charbelcher so i would say the biggest weakness of this deck is goblin charbelcher um i think burn is another pretty big weakness uh former co-host of the show ali warfield was at the tournament with us and uh they played money pile they played a canister version of the deck from like a couple days ago before the event at the time um, and they just lost to burn like three times, I think. I think they just lost round one, lost round two, lost round four to it. And they just like that deck can be very hard. And we're actually seeing money players, many play money pile players adapt. Like I actually have changed my sideboard. So now I'm playing three sunset revelries because it's like, okay, like I need to actually like really come with burn hate. So those sort of decks are really a problem. Things like ad nauseum are in theory bad, but you're a little better against them. Like, Teferi messes them up. I would say try to play combo decks where Teferi Time Reveler isn't a big problem for you, uh, or isn't something that can, like, maybe impact your game plan in a huge way. So I, I think those sort of weaknesses are big weaknesses of the deck. And I think the deck does have a go-wide problem, but that problem can be fixed with Supreme Verdict, while the stack-based combo problem, I think, is just a problem for this sort of style of the deck, no matter what. And I think you have to become a 60-card Force Negation version to actually beat the Belcher decks. But the the fear I have with this four-color deck is I think it's actually maybe too good in, like, the theoretical, where, like, we can adapt to everything everyone's doing, and it's really about picking your spots. And I think that's why I did so well this weekend, is I picked my spot with Iceman Quaddle, and not a lot of other people did. A lot of people were jumping up spreading seas. But the problem is people IRL love playing creature decks. And there are a lot of incentives to play MTG Vegas that are not winning the tournament. But you have to beat the decks like Heliod Company in order to win. You have to beat, like, a lot of money power players talk to lost to things like Merfolk, etc. And, like, because they all have these stupid spreading seas instead of quads. And so, uh, do you want to hear more about that? Check out my article this week. I have a whole four paragraphs about it. 
But uh, yeah, I, I think those are the the biggest weaknesses of the deck. A stack based combo it is it is a problem, and it is a problem you can't really overcome. Yeah, uh, like, it's, like those, it's, a, those... it's a structural issue for sure. Your, your deck's yeah. best cards, right, are like their Omnath, their Solitude, their Fury. Those are your best like interactive spells or, or your biggest haymakers, and those are not ones that are really they're not winning against things that are going well over what you're doing. They're not beating like you know big mana things like Karn or. Uh, or, you know, someone just casting Goblin Charbel turn dealing you 50 damage or whatever. Yeah. Um, and our final question from a uh, patron shout out to Christian, um, kind of piggybacking on Adrian's question, uh, if there are like cards or combinations of cards that maybe aren't those archetypal uh, kind of problems that, you know, give Money Pile some trouble, what are those things? Like if I'm a blue-white control player or a Jund player, what are the kind of cards that I want to make sure that I'm prioritizing in the matchup? Um, so things that are kind of a problem are we like, actually just like discard spells are kind of a problem. Like a lot of the times you keep hands that lean on a card and you have a lot of like, your deck just has a lot of redraws and you kind of hope to work towards them. So things like Thoughtseize IOK are like actually a problem when combined with something like DRC to put you on the back foot. So th those are problematic cards. I would say threat plus answer is actually quite good against my deck. Um, it is not insurmountable, but, like, if you poke holes in my deck, it becomes a real problem. And my deck really does kind of, like, lean on the, like, hey, I'm trading two cards to answer your big problem card, and I'll recoup this advantage later. So, so shorting the game clock or making it ways where I can't do that are really, really powerful. I think another thing this uh, deck has a real problem with is Teferi 3. Um, you lean on Ephemerate a lot in order to generate some of your card advantage back and so when decks play to fairy three it can be a little bit of a challenge in fact it's like the only card besides counterspell that really matters how to blue white control besides that the matchup is ungodly easy and so i i think those are things i think that uh the stuff that i would say that i've seen a bunch that are maybe it's better for me to tell you what those are not good are like dampening spheres like pretty medium people think that's great against me uh, Blood Moon fluctuates. It really depends on your style of deck. Like, if you're an aggressive Blood Moon deck, it's a problem. If you're a slow Blood Moon deck, it is not a problem. Um, and that's kind of a card that I think a lot of people fluctuate a bit uh, on me with. Um, people think piles of counterspells are a problem. They're only a problem until Teferi comes down, and you can recoup so much advantage. The deck really... You really need to, like, assemble... Punch a hole plus threat. Or punch a hole plus, like shorten the game those sort of things are strong so like idolon the great revel kind of does this in a way where like it eats a kill spell and does me a little damage and if i don't answer i die so like that's another card but really there are not too many cards that are uh widely played and are widely playable that actually put a big punch in this sort of deck it's part of the reason why you see it continue to do so well um but yeah i'm, I'm sure there are things you can do they're just not a whole lot of things that are like insurmountable that are not combo pieces of some sort. Yeah, um, yeah you you mentioned yeah. you mentioned earlier in the show uh, the one of your pieces of advice for people that didn't understand how to beat the deck is that the answer might not be to change the card the construction of your deck, but actually just to switch decks to pressure the mm -hmm. to pressure it differently. And as you were talking about the blue eye control thing, it's like well. It's possible that like you need to like 
play i mean kiki combo is like probably a bad deck still but like drastically changing your deck to like a combo control deck rather than i, I think copycat's quite good for yeah, like a yeah long there you go see boss. yeah exactly like yeah I, I have a friend who locally has been crushing with like four color scapeshift is his answer to to the money pile decks is that he's gonna do the kind of the same thing and He's going to circumvent the rest of this like mid-range arms race. Instead of having Emrakul, he's got Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle, and Dryad. You know, there's there's lots of ways to do that, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I, I guess actually that that is one I forgot about. Scapeshift would be uh, a combination of cards that is tough for me to beat. <laughs> but uh, you know, it is doable. I think I have Alpine Moons, and I can do more of it. But uh, yeah, that that is that. I, I sorry that there's not more there, but yeah, like I said, that's kind of my answer to the question. I wonder if yeah, Copycat uh, Omnath Pile is the blade. Does it have a good name? Uh, Money Cat. Money Cat? Yeah. That meow. is a great name. Cat, cat meowth. Money? It's just Meowth. Because he's got the coin on his head. <laughs> you guys. Mm. Well, Mason, that's, I that's just... a dollar, right? In, in Jap- Japan, wasn't that like their dollar? I, I, I mean, he has a move he, called he Payday. He does have a coin on his forehead. He does have a coin he on his forehead. He does have a move called, called Payday. Oh, yeah, he has Payday, one. too. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna get in two weeks from Vegas, baby. Point oh three percent lost three hundred dollars. Point oh three percent. Well, one of my opponents couldn't win one more game. <laughs> honestly, man, congratulations uh, on the great weekend, and it was really cool to see you do well with a deck that you've been working hard on and talking about. And um, I really enjoyed this conversation today. I, I, I appreciate you sharing it with the listeners and with me and Abe. Happy to cut reflective pull from your deck. Stop it. That's, that's for, I didn't ask for a Kurt easy one, but uh, no, as I yeah. segue here, dude, you got to cut Reflecting Pool. It's so bad. It's, <laughs> uh, it is it is unplayably bad. Spike's going to tell you it's good. He's so nice. I met him at the airport. He's a great guy. I love him. I love his, his girlfriend. They're it's so not nice. not his mana bases. No, I, I'm fine with his mana bases outside of Reflecting Pool. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, other people are going to get you. They're going to try and tell you. They're going to be like, no, that Mason guy's wrong. He's so nice. He's so smart. He played so well. He's so handsome, so devilish. That devilish part's getting you right now. Wrong. Cut it. Play a fetch. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Thank you all so you know much. What? Mason, <laughs> as our guest, where yeah. can people find you? Wow. Well, you can find me here each and every week talking about Magic the Gathering and Criticism. You can find me on Card Kingdom every single Thursday where I have a new article published predominantly focused on the arena format. So you're going to see standard and historic there, but you'll see a modern from time to time, just like this week where I not only go over the strengths of the deck, the weaknesses of money pile. I give you a cyborg guide, baby. That's so you can nice. check that out as well. It's only five decks. If you want the full cyborg guide, you have to be a CCMTG patron. Uh, but that is kind of where you'll find me everywhere. And I guess specifically for this week, um, I am guesting on the masters of modern podcast. I think it airs this week, but they might record their episodes a week ahead of time. I'm unsure, also because of the holidays. The but if you want to get more with this deck, I'll be there. So check them out. Yeah, the best way to find that is probably to follow Mason on Twitter. I know that's a hard ask. Uh, Spencer, where can people find you? Not the last couple of days, baby. You almost top eight a GP. You get a bunch of followers. <laughs> you can uh, find me at Spencer13H. You can find uh, mostly uh, other content out of the Magic of the Gathering on the apparent uh, YouTube channel of uh, Neat. No, no, he's a media man. I'm sick, guys. Uh, yeah, those are probably the best ways to find me. Just check out He's a Game Media, and 
I, I'm here every week on this podcast listening to the sweet, sweet sounds of Tannen Grace and Mason Clark. <laughs> and I'm not Tannen Grace. I'm I met Tannen this weekend, I guess. At More Nothings on Twitter, uh, where you can find me. Um, DM still open for coaching. Still a great Hammer Time player. Still shilling for myself, as always. But with that, that does it for uh, you know another big congratulations to Mason on such a great job at what is... You know, hopefully the first of many, uh, many big tournaments coming back in paper. It was really great to see him have a great run. And uh, we'll see you all next week right here on Constructed Criticism. Bye, everybody. Great episode, Tannen. Great episode.